0: The word of our Lord from the second epistle to Timothy it says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of, of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which, he was, which was given to us, In Christ Jesus before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. Let us pray. Almighty God, fountain of all wisdom, You know what we need before we ask, and You know our ignorance even as we ask. Have compassion on our weakness mercifully give us those things for which our unworthiness we dare not ask and for which our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I love how Paul begins his New Testament epistles. He always begins with a greeting. And that greeting is always coupled with a prayer of blessing for those who would receive his letter. Whether he's writing to a church or whether he's writing to a person here, as he writes in a pastoral way, he begins wishing and praying for God's blessing to his readers. And that blessing it always involves both grace and peace. And it always invokes the name of God the Father and God the Son. He begins all of his letters in this in a very similar way here. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You can go and look through each of the those letters of Paul's in the New Testament. And you'll find in those first few verses, he prays this similar blessing for them. Paul is writing here to a pastor of a church. He considers Timothy a, a son in the faith. He calls him my beloved son. And it, it, a couple of aspects of this letter blow my mind. One is that this very well might be Paul's last New Testament writing. He is a prisoner. He speaks of being poured out as an offering to the Lord. And it seems very possible that this is the last thing Paul would write that would find its way into the New Testament. So my mind thinks about the legacy of Paul what he's leaving behind and notice that he's writing to a son in the faith. He is writing to one that he has poured his life out into. He's writing to one that he that he considers his beloved in the faith. He's writing to one who ha, who he himself says he has laid his hands upon and has bestowed to him through the grace of God in laying on his hands the gift that Timothy is exercising as pastor of a church that Paul planted. Paul, I'll get to the second thing that, that blows my mind in just a few moments. Paul is writing to a pastor of a church and you have to understand that as he's writing to this pastor, just as he's writing to churches, whether they'd be the church at Ephesus or Colossae or whether it'd be a, a collection of churches such as in Galatians, Paul understands the church to be the body of Christ. And as a body, the body of Christ, it is a collection of parts. He speaks of unity and diversity. There is but one body. There is one faith. There is one Lord. There is one Spirit. But when Paul is speaking of the church, he's not speaking of just a random assortment of folks who happen to agree with one another. He is speaking about the body of Christ that is here in the world. In some measure, carrying on the presence of Christ in this world. Being Jesus' redeeming presence to their communities. So he can write, to the pastor of a, of a part of that body. He can write to a collection of churches that make up parts of that body. He can write to individual congregations and speak of them as participating in this great one body of Christ in the world. This body is composed of many parts. It is various in its gifts. It is various in its responsibilities. And in Paul's letters, he talks about some of those gifts, some of those responsibilities, some of those things that happen in the church, but also some of those positions that are within the church. But this, this understanding of unity or this understanding of diversity is always in the context of there being one body. All parts intended to strive toward unity in the Spirit of God. So he's writing to the pastor of a church, and he speaks of God's investments into our lives through the church. God invests in us through others. You may think that you came to God in a vacuum, but I assure you, you didn't. You came to God because there were others that God had placed in your life who were praying for you, who were bearing you to the throne of grace in prayer. There were others who planted seeds in your life. Perhaps those who invited you to church Those who shared with you what God was doing in their lives. Those who in some measure just showed the kindness of God to you. But God invested in your life and He continues to invest in your life just as He invests in mine through the lives of others. That's how grace works. That's how God has chosen to work and it really is in the core of how God chose to create us. He created us in his own image. John Dunn said, No man is an island whole unto himself. Which is a very profound theological statement. Not that we're just some part of some weird collective, but we do not exist on our own. Even Jesus said, in the Gospels, that He does not merely exist on His own. He is found and He finds Himself in the Father. He receives life from the Father, just as He receives love from the Father. And being created in the image of God, you and I are shaped by the lives of others and God works in our lives through others, through the work of others, their labor, through their love, through their prayers, And in the church, God gives to us a variety of instruments through which He makes investment in our lives. He gives offices to the church. Paul says that he himself is an apostle. He speaks in his letters, particularly his letters to Timothy, his first and second letter, about the various responsibilities of a variety of offices within the church. He speaks of elders and deacons and those responsibilities that are to be theirs and those standards by which they are to live their lives. He gives offices to the church for the benefit and the strengthening of the body of Christ and he gives a variety of gifts to the church. Paul says here that that. God has graced or gifted Timothy in a special way through the laying on of Paul's hands. He encourages Timothy to preach the Word, to teach, to admonish, to challenge, to encourage. He speaks of prophecy, of teaching. He speaks also of the gifts of mercy and hospitality. God has gifted His body in a variety of ways so that the needs of the body can be met and so that the world can see the various ways that God is gracious and faithful. But He's not just gifted the body, He's gifted all of the parts. You and I have been gifted in ways for the benefit of the body, for the sake of God's grace being given to others, God has gifted you in special ways. You may think, yeah, but I I can't speak in front of others. I don't like praying out loud. There there are just so many things that, uh, uh, so many gifts that I don't have. Yeah, but there are so many gifts that you do have. What God... Longs for us to do is to yield our gifts to Him and say, Lord, use me as a vessel, as a channel of Your grace. I surrender my life to be used for You. God makes investments in our lives through the church. But we're called also to make investments into the lives of others. Paul gives some examples here of how these investments are made into the lives of others. And the first thing that he says is that there are some parental investments. He he calls us to invest in the lives of others parentally. He mentions Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, That's the second thing that blows my mind about this text. He mentions the names of these two ladies, a grandmother and a mother, who apparently had an invaluable and profound influence on Timothy as he was coming up in the faith. Paul is dropping names of a grandma and a mom. I don't know why, but that just amuses me and kind of blows my mind. I I want to meet Lois and Eunice one day. Paul says he calls... To remembrance, the genuine faith that is in Timothy. And he says it first dwelt in his grandmother, Lois. And then it dwelt in his mother, Eunice. And he says, I am now persuaded it is in you. Parents, we have a deep an irreplaceable responsibility to invest ourselves into our children. We may think, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that's going to try to evangelize my child or disciple my child. I'm not a great teacher. I don't have answers to all the questions. They can look to you and see the love of Jesus. They can look to you and see how faithful God is. If mom or dad can be this faithful, God must be infinitely more faithful. They can look to you and see the stability of a life devoted to God, a life that is given to prayer, a life that is given to worship. You can't raise a blank slate It is impossible. I said a few weeks ago and I felt it perhaps was a bit harsh. But I think it's biblical. You will either raise a child of God or a child of the devil. And it is not a parent's responsibility to raise a child of the devil in hopes that one day they might come to the end of a rope and become a child of God. It is our responsibility to raise our kids to love and fear and follow Jesus. He mentions Lois and Eunice, and again, that just... Amuses me. It, it, it does more than amuse me. It, it kind of just baffles me that these two names are dropped right into the text. But they took seriously, apparently, their call and responsibility to invest in Timothy. He mentions also. The responsibility and the call that we have to invest in the lives of others ecclesially in the context of the body or the church. Again, he mentions the offices of elder and deacon. He talks also of his own investment into the life of Timothy. There are elders and ministers in the body of Christ that are called to spend their lives and invest themselves in the lives of believers. And this is something that happens in the context of church. It happens in the context of discipleship, where one says, you know what, I want to put myself under your leadership. I want to look to you to guide me, to teach me, to train me. Typically this comes to me in the context of what books should I read? I get asked that question all the time. I get asked that question by the youths, the, uh, the young adults all the time. They're always asking me, what books ought I to read? And sometimes it's a long list that they're wanting because they're wanting to set up a reading program for the year. Sometimes it's, hey, I finished one. What should I read next? But those of us who have followed Christ for some period of time, there ought to be someone that we don't see ourselves as Lord over, but that we see ourselves as investing in. Someone that we can mentor. Someone that we can shape and disciple. God calls us in the context of the church to invest in those that He's placed into our lives. He calls us to invest mutually, to invest in one another. There are investments that you make into my life that no one else can make. There are investments that others make into your life that no one else can make. It may not be a parent. It may not some, be somebody who's in, in, uh, in some form of church leadership but they're investments that we make into the life, lives of one another that others cannot make. And Paul calls us here to be faithful. Please know this. We are called to spend ourselves for the sake of others. I use the word spend even though it's probably not the best term because I think invest is a better term because spending sounds like wastefulness. You know, a dad spending some time with his son is not spending time, it's investing time. There ought to be some good return on that time. But I use it because it it helps us to realize how much this is not about us. This is not about me and the good that I can do in someone else. This is about me getting beyond myself and simply spending myself for the sake of others. That really is the call of the gospel. When Jesus approached the disciples and said, follow me, He did not go to a discipleship workshop where they were to memorize some Scripture and learn some theological points about God. He said, follow me, and then He went and visited lepers. He went to the blind. He went to those who were lame. He went to those who were outcasts. He went to those who were dead or dying. He went to the hungry. He says, follow me. And he tells us to take up our cross. And he leads us out to spend ourselves. To, as Paul puts it here to Timothy, to pour ourselves out as an offering unto God. The world says this is foolishness. You live for yourself. After, after all, you're number one. You're the center. If you're not the center of your own world, whose world are you going to be the center of? Numero uno. But the call of the gospel is to lose ourselves so that we might find ourselves. To live for the sake of others. To live, as Paul said to the Philippians, not for our own interests, but for that of others. The the English translations take Paul's statement there to the Philippians and add a few words in to try to cushion what Paul says you'll read in Philippians 2 I think 4 that Paul says look look out not only for your own interests but also for that of others that's not what Paul said Paul said look not to your own interests but to that of others. We're called to spend ourselves for the sake of others. Jesus said in the end we'll really be judged for this. He gave the parable of the sheep and the goats and He said in the end at the judgment There will be those who stand before Jesus, the sheep and the goats. And He'll divide the two. And He'll say to the goats, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't offer me any drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Depart from me. And the goats say, What are you talking about, Lord? We did all sorts of stuff in your name. He said, No. What you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do to me. And then he turns to the sheep and he says, You visited me while I was in prison. You cared for me while I was sick. You clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. Come on in and enter into the joys that are awaiting you. They said, Lord, when did we do all that? You've been in heaven after all. And Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. Jesus was very concerned with how we treat, and how, not, we, not just we treat, but how we spend ourselves In these that he called the least of these brothers of mine. All throughout the Old Testament, God was rabidly concerned with the widows, the aliens, the fatherless, and the poor. Those who perhaps we could look and say, you know what, you've brought this on yourself. You married someone who was good for nothing and look what you got. You made some horrible decisions and look what has come your way. You did wrong. You broke the law and now you're suffering the consequences. Jesus said, what we do to the least of these, we do unto Him. He was concerned also for the children because He saw that children were vulnerable and helpless. He said suffer the little children to come unto me forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. All in in all three of the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke Jesus speaks of nooses and millstones and the sea and he says if you lead one of these little children Who follow me and love me if you lead them into sin it would be better for you that a noose be tied around your neck that a millstone be attached to it and that you'd be thrown out into the depths of the sea them's fighting words I remember as a kid volunteering to be an usher when um, I was probably maybe six or seven years old, and I remember our head usher, Mr. Kylie Timms. I got to see him about a couple of months ago when, uh, when my dad was having his open heart surgery, Mr. Kylie came up to the office, and he went to shake my hand as he did every single Sunday morning when I was growing up, and I gave him the biggest bear hug. He's, he's older now. He's in poor health. But that man was not a Sunday school teacher. He was not a... There were times when he served on the board, but I, I don't recall him ever being a constant board member. He was, uh, he was not a, a, a preacher, a lay preacher. He was our head usher. And that man made a profound impact on my life. Simply because of his faithfulness, he could always be counted upon. He would always be there. If he wasn't there, something was wrong. And not just was he always there, as in he's, he's some breathing body in a pew, but he was always there and he was always glad to see me even though I probably made mistakes, even though I probably there were probably times when I didn't go up the right aisle when I was collecting the offering. Even though there were times when my boutonniere that I'd put on might be kind of hanging, sagging low, he he wouldn't scold me about it or say, "Man, you look ridiculous" or anything. He would come over and he'd fix that boutonniere and show me how to how to fix it next time. And he would always joke with me. He'd tell me, "Boys." Because after a while, a couple of us younger guys started helping out with him. So there would be six ushers total. and Some of us would be younger, and he'd say, Boys, I've talked to the board, and I've, I've done some hard work. I've done the, the heavy lifting. I've, I've secured a 10% raise for you. We didn't get paid anything, of course. But just his spirit, his willingness to, to be personable with us, his willingness to talk with us was so profound in my life. He probably, has, he probably has never kind of connected the dots. He probably thinks that his investment in my life had nothing to do with me answering the call to ministry, but I'm, I'm suspicious. I think that it did. As God was molding me and shaping me through the lives of others and their willingness to spend themselves for me. our theme of camp this week is not it. Which normally for younger kids, they think, oh, we're talking about a game. You know, not it, not it. Tag, you're it. Ah! Nobody likes to be it. But in our in our culture and in our worlds, we like to be it. We like to be the center. We like to be the one that's dependent upon. And sometimes, even in our giving for others. We want to be the one that's thanked. We want to be the one that's remembered. We want to be the one that is acknowledged. We want to be the one that is dependent upon. But Paul says, look, I'm a prisoner. Not trying to glorify himself. He says, I'm a prisoner. I could be something of reproach and shame. Don't be ashamed. Paul has so yielded himself, he has so spent himself that he finds himself imprisoned. He finds himself in need. He finds himself dependent upon others to make an investment in his life. We're called to spend ourselves. I want you to know this, and I want you to know also this. God has an interest in compounding our investments in others. You like what I did there, Bill? God has an interest in compounding our investments in others. Paul says, I know this. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day that the Lord returns. Paul invokes the name of the names of Lois and Eunice. Not because they were just such a great ma and such a great grandma, but because God used their investment in the life of young Timothy to bring up this young man in the faith who would answer the call to ministry, who would have the hands of the Apostle Paul laying upon him, praying for God's grace on his life and for God to use him in the life of a church. He used their investment and he compounded their investment. He grew it exponentially. What we bring to God, we may think of as being measly and unimportant. We may think of it as being insignificant and easily replaceable. But God takes our investments and He multiplies them. And He likes multiplying them. He is able to do beyond what we can imagine. We may think, good grief, I'm just doing children's church. It's not that big of a deal. Basically, I'm just taming the the kids so that the adults can listen to a sermon. You're making an investment and God is able to compound that investment. You may think, I am simply keeping nursery. I don't. Even, I don't like that phraseology because keeping nursery just sounds like you're, you know, you're, you're keeping the goats in the pen or something. If you keep nursery, how about considering that time as an opportunity to pray for those babies that you're holding? to pray for their parents. Especially if a guest shows up. If a guest shows up and their child is in the nursery or their child is in children's church, our teachers and keepers ought to be thinking, Lord, use me as a vessel. Spend me and compound my investment." I want you to know these things, but I want you to do this. Spend lavishly. Spend yourself with reckless abandon. Give yourself to others. get beyond yourself and just be spent. Your investment is eternal. So spend lavishly. Let's pray.